0: Gentlemen, we begin. Welcome to The Great Man Podcast, where we call out the greatness in men. Glad you've joined me. Hey, before I dive into my topic for this episode, I want to challenge you with something. Are you reading a good book every so often on noble manhood? Now, come on. There are so many good books out there on noble manhood, righteous manhood, great manhood. I want to make sure that at least about every quarter of a year, you're digesting a good book on noble manhood. Yeah, there are mine, but there's John Eldridge and other great books out there. Wild at Heart, you got to read it. Many other books. I won't go through them all. Um, I'm not just selling mine. You know, you know about mine, you either read it or you don't. That's fine. Um, you'll go to heaven if you don't re- read my books. Uh, but the point is, make sure you're reading something. Make sure in addition to that, you're watching something. You know, you become the, basically what you eat. Uh, you become what you behold is the famous phrase. And so make sure, I, and I make it, I would I would challenge you about every quarter of a year, that's about every three months, make sure that you're reading a book on great and noble manhood. And by the way, if you've got particular challenges, uh, maybe it's in the area of lust, or maybe it's in the area of uh, marital relationships, or maybe you need some enhancement in parenting, there are really good books for men on all those topics. So I'm not just talking about books that speak generally of manhood and a vision for noble manhood. Those are great. I'm all for those, obviously. But I'm also talking about books that help you as a man do the things you're called and made to do. Okay, on to another topic. I want to speak broadly and philosophically, even historically, about something that I care about very much, and it's a theory of history that I have. I've not seen anybody write about this. I'm not I'm not quoting anyone else when I say this. I think it'll be fairly obvious when I describe it. But Let me just speak a little bit as a historian in this episode to set up what I'm talking about. And when I describe it, you're going to look around you and realize it's going on all over the place in the world in which you live. I believe with all my heart that throughout history, governments, tribal elders, educational institutions, basically the authorities and the lives of young men, okay, whatever institutions, whatever relationships establish sort of an authoritative voice into the lives of young men, that throughout history, young men are often captured early and deformed by being told who they should hate. Okay? I believe with all my heart that you can go back centuries in history and that before a young man would even be fully formed, before he had had a chance to, you know, form his own thoughts, be educated, read broadly, travel broadly, all the things that broaden you from the narrow in life, that he had people handing him almost a generational force of hatred. And I believe that not only is that true but that it also deforms, in most cases, that generation of manhood, okay? I'll take the news story right now and use it as an example, and then I'll apply it a little bit further back. Obviously, amongst a lot of uh, Muslim young men, and I love them deeply, I care about them, I work in the Middle East a great deal, spend lots of time with young Muslim men, but they've been handed a hatred of the Jews, It's very obvious, right? Now, this is represented in their religion to some degree, but not near as much as they are feeling it and being told they ought to be living it out. I've said in my other podcast, I won't take a lot of time to develop it now, you know, Muhammad was actually married to a Jewish woman. He believed that the Jews, as much as they were deceived and schemers and what have you, um, he believed that they were people of the book. And so he welcomed them into the Ummah, which was the, the Muslim society, uh, the broader the society, the, the region he governed, so to speak, both Christians and Jews. Now, there's no question the Hadith and other Islamic writings are viciously anti-Semitic. But the fact is that these the young men in most places, young Muslim men, they don't get this by reading the Hadith, which are recorded writings of Muhammad and the Islamic teaching, or the Quran, uh, because their faith is not so much about them having a personal relationship with the written literature. For them, Islam is what the mullah says it is. When the mullah lectures on the Friday uh, in the mosque, then that's what young Muslim men believe. And so they are given a hatred of the Jews. I have to say the Jews have not done young Muslim men much damage at all. I understand that there's a complaint about Israel taking uh, supposedly Palestinian land. But let me say quickly, and I'm not trying to get into a political fight here, that Israel is 260 miles north to south, about 70 miles wide at its widest point, about 6.2 miles wide at its narrowest point. It's a little sliver of land hugging the Mediterranean. And the Arab lands are just thousands and thousands and thousands of square miles, just massive amount of land. And Israel is not culturally, not religiously, not geographically, not demographically causing them any great grief. But what they are told is to see the Jews as the source of their troubles. If Israel just didn't exist, if we drove them into the sea, if it wasn't for the Zionist entity, as they sometimes call it when they're trying not to say Israel. If it wasn't for the Jews, all would be well. Well, of course this is not true. And I'm not even I'm not even defending the Jews at the at this moment to say these things. I am pro Israel and I and I am A friend of the Jews, etc. All of my Muslim friends know that. Um, But my point right now is not to so much get into the big fight. My point is to say that what I care about as I sit here at this moment is what's happening to young men throughout the Middle East. They have been handed generational hatred, they have been handed someone to blame their troubles on, they have been handed someone to do violence against, a kind of a communal hatred that inflames them and young men are you know susceptible to that it's easy to get young men to choose an enemy young men like to fight they like to have an enemy they like to think of themselves as warriors but i will tell you that i believe of young muslim men in the middle east and throughout the world exactly what i believe about others i'm about to talk about and that is that this hatred is just deforming them Sure, it means the death of Jews, and sure, it means international tensions, and there are other things that go amok. But what I care about at this moment, on this podcast, is that millions of young Arab, largely Arab men, are being deformed by an irrational, unnecessary force of hatred. And I care about them, and I want to see them set free. And I believe it's a conspiracy against them. I believe that it is them being set up. As a Christian, I believe in speaking of the flesh, the devil, and the world, all three of those forces, the the forces that are within me just because I'm a human being, Um, the world handing me ideas, teaching me things that are false or, or doing me damage. And then, of course, I do believe in the demonic. And so all of that works against these young men. And now there's unbelievable bloodshed. And really, really, I'm, again, I'm not trying to be political or even that religious at the moment, but just for a moment, what real damage have the Jews done to a young man in Saudi Arabia, a young man in Pakistan, a young man in Turkey, a young man in Jordan? What real damage? Hardly any. So my point is not to solve this whole thing politically right now. My point is to say I see it as a setup and a weapon being used against young manhood in parts of the world that I love. Well, let me give you another example closer to home for me. I grew up uh, the son of a U.S. Army officer who was, in turn, from South Georgia. And so when we would go to visit our grandparents and thus my cousins and others— There was unbelievable hatred against Blacks. Unbelievable. My grandparents, I say to my shame, and theirs, locked Blacks out of their Methodist church in Albany, Georgia. They spoke in the most insulting terms about blacks all the time. I think I've told this story before. Finally, my father, who did not share those values, was in the U.S. Army, whose best friends were often blacks, Who served black generals and colonels and senior officers, who served in war right beside black uh, men he deeply admired. He, He was free of all that stuff. He finally told my grandparents, if you keep doing this, we're not coming back. And that began to change some things. I'll tell that story another time, and I think I already have. What's my point? My cousins, my grandparents, that young generation of white manhood in the south of of the United States, was handed a hatred of blacks. Why? What did they do to them? What was the big stinking deal? Whites brought blacks to the new world and enslaved them. Whites then had to fight a war between themselves to decide whether slavery would exist or not. You know the history as well as I do. Well, maybe maybe almost as well as I do. I only say that because I got a doctorate in history. I don't want to be pressuring you with too much. But my point is, whites were largely at fault. And then somehow they turn around and start hating blacks for being black. And I have watched with my relatives. I have watched uh, as a student of history A generation of young manhood handed a hatred of the black man, and it deformed him, and it damaged him. I'm talking about generations worth. Why? Why? There's nothing inherently terrible or evil about blacks, of course. It's ridiculous. It was a lie. It was a deception. It was as much a lie and a deception as what's going on in the Middle East with young Arab manhood. And I will tell you that as much horror as that hatred visited on blacks, and I certainly am, not, am in touch with that, of course, the issue of slavery and the KKK and the racism in the South and the Jim Crow laws and, and the bigotry and all of that kind of thing. The other thing that we often don't talk about that I had a pretty good opportunity to see up close is what that hatred was doing to the whites themselves, young white men. It made them small, it made them bitter. It made them angry. It made them vengeful. It ended up putting many of them in prison for being idiots. It distanced them from their faith because their faith, their Christianity, and that was largely what most of them believed in the South in the USA. It distanced them from their faith. Their faith did not teach a hatred of black men, quite the opposite. I, th- I believe their health suffered. I believe many of them retreated from achieving things they might otherwise have achieved because they were just snarling and retreating and blaming it was terrible to watch. Terrible. Well, this is not unlike what happened in Nazi Germany. Germany fights World War I, uh, suffers horribly at the end, is blamed for things they ought not to have been blamed for, but suffered horribly. And what are are their sufferings blamed on? Well, again, their tribal leaders, their government, their educational institutions blame the Jews. Let's blame the Jews. Jews had very little to do with any of it, by the way. Jews didn't create World War I. Jews didn't create the economic devastation that happened in Germany between the wars. But here comes Hitler, and here comes Nazism, and here comes a history of anti-Semitism. And so let's blame the Jews. And what happens? A a, a devastation of more than six million Jewish lives during World War II and I, I, I don't mean to move the camera too quickly off of them. That's the real focus. They, they suffered horribly. How many millions lost worldwide in fighting this war? But then what happened in Germany? I, you, if you listen to this podcast at all, you know I grew up in Germany, loved the Germans, got a German daughter-in-law, therefore a German grandson. I mean, I love Germany, just love it. We should all love it and be thankful to Germany uh, for what it's given to the world in cultural arts and technology and what have you but no question nation devastated many hundreds of thousands killed deformed manhood country still aching over it and i could go back even further from that back in american history you had you had hatred of and resentment of catholics and they were the cause of of everything that was wrong and and, and then you had the blaming of the irish and so now we hate them and and they're the cause of what's wrong in our society every generation i believe almost every generation, has handed young men someone to hate. I'm sure that I'll let others speak to this and not me. Maybe Anthony will want to talk about his own experience in this situation, but young black men being handed a hatred of whites. Now, it's a more legitimate uh, resentment because of how whites have mistreated blacks in America. But for many young black men, whites aren't really much of a problem day in, day out, but it's been handed to them kind of generationally. Anthony, feel free to speak to that, my brother. And then of course I, I could go on. What about Asians? Jay may want to speak to this during World War II. A national resentment of Japanese, most of whom had been in the country for generations and were radically pro American, and by the way, were Christians. But we rounded them up like they all just landed from Tokyo, stuck them in basically concentration camps, took their property from them. Do you see what I'm saying? I'm not just trying to go through the gripes of history, although they're legitimate. I'm saying that almost in my view, there's a, probably a book to be written on this. In my view, for centuries, young men, before they even have the relevant discernment to decide if these ideas are true, are handed by their fathers and their brothers and their uncles and their grandfathers and their culture, a generational hatred. They're told who to hate. And many times, yes, it does it visits horrors on those they hate. But it also visits horrors on them. They're deformed. They're killed in wars. Their hearts are hardened. There are all the things you know probably have been devastated marriages and tortured sons and daughters and alcoholism and drug, all the things that befall a people who hate. And so, you know, I always like to be practical. And I, I know that Anthony and Jay are practical as well. But whatever we talk about in our own lives, we bring it down to a coaching moment. I want you to ask yourself, what hatred have you been handed? Now, it's very possible you haven't been handed any, and I rejoice in that. If that's the case, man, you don't have to be apologetic for it. That's wonderful. You had good parents. You had a good culture around you. But a generational form of hate, it can be political. uh, It can be racial. It can be socioeconomic. It can be religious. But I want you to look honestly at the hatred that you were handed and— Also, that you might be in risk of handing your sons and your daughters or encouraging amongst friends if you're not married. What hatred? I believe we are deformed by the things we hate. I believe we are deformed by the hatred itself. We are deformed by the lies we believe in order to hate that way or as a result of that hate. And I believe that it lasts for generations. So I'm asking you, what hate were you handed is it possible that you might hand down? What hate are you believing in? And like I say, if you're free, hot dog. All for it, man. Not saying that everybody listening to this podcast is some crazed hate monger. But I there were things I that I was handed. There was things that I that not from my parents. My parents were good, noble, broad minded people, but I had things handed to me, just by the cultures I was in, the young men, etc. What are yours? And then declare war on it. Declare war on it. It might be true that a certain people are, you know, have a tendency towards certain evils and what have you, but you don't want to hate them. You won't be part of the solution, which is what this podcast is all about. You won't be part of the solution in our generation of manhood if you're participating in the hate. Look at it honestly. Repent of it religiously, spiritually. Challenge it philosophically. Challenge it in your attitude. Wash it out of your culture. Wash it out of your language. Be the men you're made to be because this, my brothers is one of the great arts of great man. To join the great man community or to book Stephen to speak at your man's event, go to greatman.tv. There, you'll also find incredible resources to help you become the great man you are made to be. The Great Man Podcast is a Wise Company production.